Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 28 today. And these are the last words in the Gospel of Matthew. They take place right after Jesus' death on the cross and his burial in the tomb where a stone was rolled over the entrance, a seal the government was put upon the outside and a cadre of soldiers was stationed uh, just outside to make sure that the disciples didn't pull a fast one on anyone. And we're going to pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read first 10 verses, then jump to verse 16. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the sea of the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. In the fear of them, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you that it is so. So they departed quickly from the tomb, and with great fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came upon him, and they took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they too will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all grab a seat and we're going to dive in here to this text. Uh, we've been working in the series called Deep Meaningful Life and we've talked uh, for week one about devotion, about our heart for the Lord and has our heart been captured so that we desire and, and hunger and have a devotion to the Lord. Week two, we talked about our development. It's not just enough to be devoted, but we need to actually grow and develop our faith. We need to move towards maturity. So we have devotion and development. Last week, we talked about connection. You can have devotion and development, but if you don't have relationships, you're still going to be cold and your faith's going to be weak. And so you need people to surround you and encourage you in the faith. I love what Ecclesiastes says. If you get cold, how do you stay warm? It's like you better find someone to snuggle up with. If you're going to be strong, you need a three-standard rope because it's going to bind itself together and add strength. And we need community to strengthen our devotion and to help us in our development. But what we see in our Christian lives is that if we have devotion and if we're being developed in our faith and growing towards maturity and we've got good connection and community, you know what always happens? 
that that begins to bubble up from the inside and overflow to the outside. That we're always pushed outward to go to others and want to share God's love and, and to tell them what this deep, meaningful life we found really looks like. And so today we're going to talk about expansion. And really, this passage, if you know anything about uh, Matthew 28, if you've been around church, you probably know that this is called the Great Commission. And it's when Jesus was commissioning his disciples to take his work and to multiply it or do it for themselves. And so he's sort of passing the baton. Like in the relay race, Jesus is saying, I've run my race, I've finished what I came to do, now I'm giving you the baton so you take the good news that I came to bring and you share it with the rest of the world. And so there's this kind of passing on of, thing, uh, of things to the disciples, and they're meant to spread the good news of God's kingdom to the rest of the world. Now, there's a churchy word that we don't like to use for this called evangelism. Now, as soon as I say it, you probably had like a visceral reaction because uh, if you've been around our world very much, you know that you can't hardly talk about evangelism without almost undercutting it, which is sort of comical because it, literally the word evangelism means sharing good news. And yet in our world, if you go out to like the, if you went to a coworker and said, hey, I'd like to do some evangelism with you, what's their initial reaction going to be? They're like backing up, you know? It's like, remember COVID when you had like the six foot radius you're supposed to stay? If you say evangelism, people want a six foot radius or more too. They're like, ah, why don't you just keep your distance a little bit? I'm not sure I want anything to do with that. But um, the, 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 our understanding of the way we feel about evangelism it's, it's interesting that it's almost completely inverted from the, the literal definition of, uh, of what it means. To evangelize means to share good news. Like, what could be better than that? We do, we do this kind of thing, uh, and we think about this in, in lots of different ways, but it's interesting that evangelism in our world has almost taken on a negative connotation. And so when people hear this word, what do they think about? We think about televangelists. You know, the hucksters that are, that are, that are bartering and, and kind of hawking a religious product online, but they don't really have a sincere faith. Or we think about evangelists and it's the guys riding a bicycle coming up to your door and like bugging you when you don't really want to be bothered and trying to pitch you a sell of goods at your front door. And so you're trying to keep them out. And in an election year, when we hear this word evangelism, sometimes uh, it, we, we're, we've gotten this kind of thing that journalists have started doing where they've called evangelicals a voting block. And so it has nothing to do really with church or Christian faith. It's just a certain voting block that's out there. But we hear it and it's got this certain connotation that really isn't anything like what you read in the scriptures about what the, uh, the, what the gospel is calling us to do. Or maybe evangelists are the guys that go to really big events and they hold up the repent signs and they scream and yell about other people's immoral lifestyles. Like all those are ways that maybe when we hear the word evangelism, those might be connotations that people have but it really doesn't sound like good news at all, does it? Like none of those things you're hearing are like, man, give me some more of that. Like I would love to lean in on that. And so we, we culturally are kind of push, our ways, push ourselves away from evangelism. And so as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about how do I make this message compelling for you? Like how do I take people in 2024 and take this truth that God's calling us to be the ones that carry the good news into the world and make it something that we all want to do. And it's kind of hard to do because evangelism is a pretty offensive idea in our culture. Evangelism comes and says, hey, I have an idea about what life, where real life is found. And I know that maybe you don't know where real life is found. So I want to show you where you can find the real life that I have. And people hear that and go, so you're saying my life is bad and yours is good. And it begins to create some tension there, doesn't it? 
It takes on oftentimes this sort of, it's seen as judgmental or bigoted. It feels backwards. It feels outdated, like, oh, you're one of those. And at least that's what the cultural stereotypes tend to say. So when you think about evangelism, this kind of concept, the press clippings just aren't very good, are they? Like any of you, like I don't, and I don't know many kids that grow up and are like, what do you want to do? And it's like, I want to be an evangelist. Like it's probably not high on the list at elementary schools of what kids want to grow up and do. And yet it's something we're actually all called to do. So that's kind of the, the idea of what's out there. I think the real question for us is like, what, what is going on in here when you hear that term? When you think about what does it look like for you to share the, the gospel, the good news, the, the message of God's salvation for the world? I think it's really more important to ask ourselves that question. Have you ever thought about what it looks like for you to tell the good news? Have you ever thought about why you don't? And why you hesitate to do so? Have you ever thought about what it is that Jesus is calling us to do? Because beyond the cultural noise and beyond the church baggage, uh, my hope as we kind of look at this today is that we could just get back to the simple idea that we get to go tell people good stuff that God has done for their good and for his glory. And we get to tell a world that desperately needs real hope and lasting joy where it's found. That's what evangelism is ultimately about. And what we see in the Bible is that if we're gonna live a deep, meaningful life in Christ, it always is gonna spill out of us to go and invite others to come in and experience deep, meaningful life in Christ as well. Sound good? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in here. Father, I pray and I just ask that you'd raise up a generation that doesn't see this as some crazy radical thing, that doesn't see this as some thing that people on a stage do, that doesn't see this as something that superstars do, but that sees the the privilege and the honor of getting just to tell people about the love of God in Christ and all that it means for them. Father, would you raise up a generation that just takes what they know and shares it with all, with a sense of joy and purpose. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk about good news. <clears throat> we share all kinds of good news in our, in our world, right? Someone is, you know, gets, uh, a couple gets pregnant and they're gonna let everyone know whether they're having a boy or a girl and they throw a gender reveal party and you can Google and there's a million different ways you can do this from the cake to the hidden thing to the confetti that blows up from whatever it is and we like to share that good news in these creative ways. We throw graduation parties and send out graduation announcements and we're sharing good news that my kid made it. Like he didn't like stumble and fall but he actually got to the finish line. Like, hurrah, you know, get excited about that. We give medals and trophies for sporting events and we post pictures online of all kinds of good things. We get a promotion and we send it on LinkedIn because we want everyone to know that, man, I got a, a new role and I want you to know about it. And we're used to sharing good news in all kinds of ways. Um, we actually got a good glimpse of this last week in a football game and everyone's got football on their mind this time of year. But uh, any of you watched the, the Chiefs game, Chiefs, uh, uh, Chiefs against Buffalo? Uh, and you probably are aware if you've watched anything that there's this little rom-com that's like happening in real life in front of us and half of you are going to go, oh, and half of you are going to go, oh, like get her off the screen. I just want to watch football. Um, but, you know, when you look at the game, you know, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey, the tight end for the Chiefs, and she's at the game, and she's up in the box, and he scores a touchdown in the last game, and he does the little heart up to Taylor in the box, and it's this really sweet moment, and 
you can do whatever you want to do with that, whether it's groaning or whether you can, you're excited about that and T-Swift's kind of your thing or not. But uh, that actually is not the cultural moment that got everyone's attention when this happened. When Travis Kelsey scored a touchdown, the thing that got everyone's attention is what his brother, Jason Kelsey, did right after that. His brother is a fellow football player, the 6'2", 300-pound man, rips his shirt off, jumps out of the box in the middle of Buffalo, New York, where it's freezing cold and snow is all over the ground, and starts running around high-fiving, celebrating his brother's touchdown in this game. And he can't, it was like he just couldn't contain himself. Did any of you, any of you see that? Um, it was hilarious to watch this, uh, this grown 300-pound man acting like a kid who just couldn't possibly not share the good news that my bro scored a touchdown in the playoffs. Here's the thing. That's probably enough of that. You can get him off screen. We don't need to look at that anymore before I get fired or in trouble. But well, you know, when, you, when you look at that, it, it's hilarious to think about him and how excited he got about that. Uh, they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't even get in the Super Bowl. Like this was a second round game to get them into the semifinals. It was just a touchdown. But his brother was that excited and wanted to share the good news. And why do I tell that story? Um, Because I think we need to share good news and be that excited about the news that we have. Isn't it fascinating that if, if he can be that excited about a touchdown that really wasn't that significant, shouldn't we be even more excited about a touchdown Jesus scored over our much more difficult enemy? And the victory that Jesus won over sin and over death that lasts for all of eternity? Shouldn't we maybe be a little more, a little more like that about the good news that we have to share with others and yet we sit back? But I love that he's out high-fiving and telling everyone, my bro just did something great. And we need to do the same. My bro, Jesus, just did something great. And we need to celebrate that. Because I think his excitement was a little closer to what we need to have. Now, let me say this. Dudes, keep your shirts on. Ain't no one here need to, need to follow that. Like, I don't want to see any of you ripping your shirt off and jumping out the window. That's not the point here today. Um, but I do think there's something there that ought to get our attention. Let's look at Matthew 28. Jesus has just given his life voluntarily on a cross to pay for our sin sickness. He sacrificed his perfect life for all of our imperfections, willingly uh, living as, as the sacrificial lamb, saying, I will take the hit for everything that you did, and I will pay the penalty so that you can have new life. The scriptures say there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, and Jesus shed his for us. So Jesus' friends and his family have just watched all this go down, and as they've watched what happened, they saw Jesus uh, arrested in the garden. They saw him dragged off as a criminal. They saw him uh, bound and, and tied, and they saw his hands pierced and stuck upon a cross. They saw his side pierced and bleed out. They saw him breathing and labored, dying slowly on a cross. They saw that cross lowered, and his dead body lifted off that cross and carried into a tomb and placed there in a stone rolled over that tomb. And his friends and his family have agonized for three days. They've wept. And they've, they've thought that all of their dreams for what Jesus was going to do had ended. And so their tears and their agony and their confusion and they're scattered in fear. And this is the moment where we pick up the story in Matthew 28. It says, now after the Sabbath, so on the third day, toward the dawn of the first day, so early in the morning, as soon as they were allowed to do that, to, to be there, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb of Jesus. They're going to grieve. Uh, they're, they're likely going to try to treat his body and to care for him as they're in mourning. 
But in the middle of that, an earthquake comes, an angel just drops down out of heaven. It says he looks like lightning and his clothes are glowing. And it says that the angel descended and he came and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And, his, and, and for the fear of him, these guards, this, these soldiers that were supposed to be protecting everything just went, thunk. Like they just passed out. This, this whole thing happened. They were like, hmm, I can't, that's all I got. But these two women are still standing there and the angel looks to these two women and, she, and, and begins to give them some instructions. Says, don't be afraid. I know that you came seeking the crucified dead body of Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. He, he's alive. And begins to encourage them with this incredible news. Now, this whole scene's unbelievable, isn't it? Think about the, the, the picture of these soldiers just kind of like crumpled on the ground and these two ladies standing in the midst of them like kind of stepping over their bodies, you know, walking up to the tomb. And in the midst of all this, this angel's there. And I honestly think this is kind of hilarious because the angel says, rolls back this giant stone that would have taken all these soldiers to put in place. The angel's like, Shunk. and then it says the angel hops on it. And he's like, I, like, this is total speculation. This is like preacher speculation. This isn't really in the Bible. I'm just telling you, this is my thought. I don't think God told him to hop on the stone. I think the angel like added his own little flair to the thing. I think he like moved the deal and was, like hops up there like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys and was like, hey, ladies, you know, he's not in there anymore. And he begins to do this. And I think it's kind of this comical scene, but I almost see God up in heaven kind of rolling his eyes like, dude, like just, tell, just do what you're supposed to do. But it, it, to me, it's just funny that the angel rolls the stone and then sits down on it and makes this announcement. But the fascinating thing about all of this is, is the angel tells them to look inside the tomb at the body, at the place where Jesus' body had been laid. He says, look, I know you came to look for his body, but it's not there. He's risen. Now, if you were these ladies, can you imagine trying to process all this information in real time? Imagine what's unfolding. You're expecting to go see a dead body, which is kind of creepy and awful and like grieving in the process of all that stuff. And then all of a sudden that dead body's not there. So then you've got all kinds of other things going on. And then there's an angel that just drops out of heaven and makes this noise to you. So I think it's good to think about this. I want to point out a couple important details. First, did you notice the little phrase that the angel says, he's not here, he's risen as he said? That, that, that Jesus is risen just as he told you he was going to rise from the dead. Now, what's hap- what, what, what the angels want to let them know is this is all happening according to God's plan. This is, in fact, exactly what Jesus said would happen. And in the Gospel of Matthew, if you go back earlier in this book, six different times Jesus says, I'm going to die and raise again. He's been telling them this is going to happen, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And so the angel is telling them something important, that when Jesus died, this isn't like everything got thrown out and we lost everything. This was actually according to God's plan. This is exactly what Jesus told you was going to happen. Do you see how important that is? The angel saying, this was God's plan all along. He's not lost control. And when the angel rolled back the stone to the tomb, you understand that he didn't roll back the stone so Jesus could get out. Jesus was already gone. We don't have any idea how that happened. It doesn't really tell us. But he rolled the stone back, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that these ladies could get in and see that Jesus was risen, that he'd been resurrected, that he was no longer there. He's letting them know this is good news. There's no possible better news. Jesus is alive. Do you see what that would have meant for these ladies? Is Jesus told you this was going to happen, and then when it unfolded, what it means is you can trust him. 
You can trust him with the hard things that happen in your life. You can trust him with the questions that you have. You can trust him when things seem to go awry, but God's still in control. And Jesus was still working his plan out. Friends, the resurrection means something for us too. It means we can trust him. Just like it meant for them that they could trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, it means we can trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. It means we can trust Jesus to release our shame and our regret and our guilt. It means we can trust Jesus to turn back the sadness and the sorrow that we feel. It means we can trust Jesus to free us from the addictions and the struggles that we, that we don't seem like we can beat. It means we can trust Jesus to be the family that removes all loneliness from us, the family that lasts forever and doesn't end. It means we can trust Jesus to be our hope for a world that will one day be better than the one we live in now. The resurrection means that all of that gets packed into this moment and Jesus began to turn back all of the ramifications of sin and death. It's good news. This is Jesus scoring a touchdown and spiking a ball on the biggest battle that you will ever face. It means your win is already determined means you're victorious. He just, he's already won your Super Bowl. You should be rejoicing. You should be jumping out of a box, high-fiving someone and ready to tell them about everything he did for you. That's, a, that's the picture that we're, meant to, that we're meant to have, that the resurrection says that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our deepest hopes and dreams. So verse seven, the angel tells Mary, and, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, I love that Matthew does that. It's like Matthew's like, Mary and the other Mary, what's her name? You know, Mary, the other one. And he just keeps going. He just calls her the other Mary. And you love that if like, that's you in scripture for all eternity. You know, like you're just the other Mary. Um, so he says, now go tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, Jesus has gone before you to Galilee and you're gonna see him there. Behold, I've told you what I came to tell you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them. Greetings, Jesus said. And didn't that be a trip? You watch the dude die, get dropped down, put in a tomb. Jesus is like, what's up? You know, as he comes down, as you're walking around the corner, it's like greetings to them. He's like such an amazing thing. It says they fell down at his worship, feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now it's fascinating to me that in all four of the gospels in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the gospels tell the story of these two women. And so these two women show up in, in all four and they're the first to discover Jesus' resurrection and they're the first to share the good news with other people. It's a surprising detail in, in the narrative, but it would have been shocking in that world uh, because in, in that world, women really weren't, were so marginalized that they weren't respected as those who are acceptable witnesses in a court of law. And so oftentimes if a woman were to, to go and to testify about something, their testimony would not be received or respected uh, because women were just marginalized. And so their testimony wasn't, wasn't credible in, in terms of that culture. And yet it's interesting that God sends the first, these, these two women to be the first to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, several people have mentioned, or lots of people have said this in, in different ways, that in some ways this actually substantiates the historicity of this text, that if the disciples were going to make up a fabricated story, that they would be unlikely to say, the only true eyewitnesses we have that saw the empty tomb were these two ladies uh, that, that weren't respected. They would put in uh, legal experts, or, or, or they would put in uh, religious experts, or, or some kind of spiritual leaders that would have been the ones that saw and came and shared this good news, but the fact that they use women actually lead, lends credibility to the account that, um, 
that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling here. But these two women become the, the first evangelists in the history of the church. So I want us to, to look at them and learn a little from them. You notice the angel says, now go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. Friends, that's evangelism. Like, that's, that's it. That, that was what they were called to do. Go tell them that Jesus who was crucified is alive. That's the good news you need to know and it helps explain everything that, that the gospel is and that's the message that they're supposed to share. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the angel come to Mary and the other Mary and say, I, I want you to, to go and explain the, the deep intricacies of predestination to the, the disciples and all the ways these are gonna work out? Did the, did the angel expect them and say, hey, I'm, I'm asking you to go and explain whether the earth was 4,000 years old or 4 million years old? Uh, he didn't go to, the, to Mary and Mary and say, uh, I want you to go to the disciples and tell them what happened to the dinosaurs. I mean, those are all valid questions. They're all reasonable things to ask. But he didn't say, I want you to go and explain why bad things happen to good people and all the mysteries of the problem of evil. He, did, he didn't ask him to do that, does he? He says, go, go tell them that Christ was dead and he's alive. That's good news for you and me. Friends, sharing the good news doesn't mean you have to have all the answers to every question that's ever been asked. I think sometimes that's what keeps us from sharing the good news because we think, well, if I go tell them that I know where life is found and it's found in this guy named Jesus and he died for our sins and he raised again, they're gonna ask me these really hard questions and like, what if I don't know the answers to those questions? Uh, Jesus never asked you to know the answers to all the questions. I think those are things we can grow into. I think those are things we can orient you to. We can, we can help you develop and, and, and lean in and, and grow in your ability to kind of navigate some of those questions. But you can tell them what I say to them, which is, I don't know, let's go see if we can figure it out. Why don't you come join me? But here's what I do know. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. Let me tell you about Jesus and all the grace that he's given to me. And when you can do the same, uh, there's a, a freedom to come and share the gospel. I love how humble this is. The main thing here is not everything that they know and everything that they do. It's what Jesus knows and what Jesus has done. That's the good news that they're meant to share. You notice also their response. This encourages me too. It says that they had fear and great joy together. Um, do you ever feel that way in your faith? Do you ever feel like, man, I, I love everything I'm reading about this, but also I'm not sure about everything. Like I got some stuff I'm still getting nervous about. I got some stuff I'm still have questions about. I got some stuff that I'm, I'm not sure I have all the answers to. I love that they have mixed emotions and it's just such a human element because I feel that way too. And I think you likely do. Friends, sharing the good news doesn't mean that you'll never have fear or doubt. Sharing the good news means you're, you're gonna, you know where to, where to go with your fear and doubt to trust the Lord. And you can tell others about where they can go with their fears and doubts too in the midst of their mixed emotions. Look at verse eight. It says that, that as soon as the angel told them to go tell the disciples, they departed quickly and there's an urgency, there's a passion, there's a desire to, to move quickly. They weren't just like, ah, we'll get around to it, maybe. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples. Don't you love that? That's like Jason Kelsey jumping out of the box stuff. Like, when's the last time you saw an adult woman run? Like full, like full all out sprint. I mean, just be honest. Like, when's the last time you saw an adult woman sprint? Like, just like, hightailing it, leaning back, like hair flowing in the wind and going as hard as she can go after something. Like that's a funny picture. But what it means is they were so excited 
And they, they weren't like in Viore tights ready to go. I mean, these are people that were dressed in big baggy clothes. Like they're pulling up their robes and they're gathering everything up and just trying to like get going. But they couldn't wait. They quickly left. They were so excited. They had to go tell the disciples, Jesus, the one we've been bawling our eyes out over two days is alive. The one that we put all our hopes in, we thought was crashed, he's, he's actually still here. And we get to go see him. And there's so much grace in that. I love what an honor it is and privilege for us to go share with great joy the good news of all that Jesus did for us. It's interesting, Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, friends, when you, when you run to share the good news with someone, the scriptures, God, God calls that beautiful. It, it's, it's honoring to him, but it's also a blessing, a goodness to those around you. So they run and they find the disciples and on the way they meet Jesus, fall at his feet, worship him and then they go on um, to go and share this news with him. It's interesting that you see what Jesus gives them. He gives them this command to go and share the good news with, with the disciples. He says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Do you see the phrase Jesus uses for the disciples? He says, my brothers. Question for you. Where were these disciples the last time Jesus saw them with his physical eyes? It would have been on the day, it would have been when he was on the cross. Where were the disciples? Well, Mark, we know from the Garden of Gethsemane, was so fearful whenever they tried to arrest him that he literally shed his cloaks, dropped his drawers, and ran naked out of the park out of fear because he was afraid he was going to get arrested with Jesus. Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. Not just once, but three times that Jesus saw Peter and Peter said, uh, they said, you were with him. You were one of his disciples. He said, I don't even know that man. And Jesus had witnessed and told Peter that he would do it and saw it happen. Jesus saw his disciples scatter in fear and cowardice. They had little faith and they ran away and they were in hiding. And for two days, they've been in turmoil, thinking that all of their dreams have been dashed and they've been completely lost. And what's the first word that Jesus says to them? Go and tell my brothers. Do you see the grace in that? That in their weakness, Jesus said, they're still my brothers because it's not about their perfection. It's about what my perfection is that I'm giving to them. And so he speaks to them. Verse 16, we pick it up and he says, go to Galilee where they're gonna meet him. Now, here's what's interesting about Galilee. Galilee's about a hundred mile walk from Jerusalem. And so for the disciples to go and to, to meet Jesus in Galilee wasn't just like around the corner. This thing didn't happen like this. This is one of the things where Jesus like, go tell them to go all the way there. And we're not sure exactly why Jesus wanted to do it, except that it likely had something to do with the mountain of Gal- where they were on Galilee and the mission and the symbolism of all that represented. But they're gonna go, it says in verse 16, now the 11 disciples, why were there 11? Because Judas hung himself. Judas, one of the disciples, had betrayed Jesus and had actually taken his own life. And so now they're shorthanded down to 11. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus gives them this command. Isn't it fascinating in this passage that Matthew, the way Matthew captures this jump from these ladies that see his resurrected resurrection in the tomb, 
immediately to go to Galilee in this command for them to take the good news and to share it with the rest of the world. But you notice what it says about these disciples. How does it describe them? It says, some worshiped and some doubted. They were mixed very much like Mary and Mary were. Remember Mary and Mary a little before when they had the good news received them, it says, man, they had great fear, but they also had great joy. And it was just this mix of emotions. You see the same thing with the disciples, that they had, they had fear, they had worship and great intentions. They also had doubts that were there. Isn't that true to the way I experience life and you experience life? Do you feel that way sometimes? Like, man, I've got this worship of God that I feel in my heart sometimes, and there's other times I just doubt. And I'm like, is this all real? And what do I really do with all this? Do you see that this is good news for you and me? That the disciples who weren't perfect, Jesus said, are my brothers because of his grace? Friends, the disciples were sinful and broken people. Disciples were oftentimes weak faith people. Disciples were a mixed bag of worship and doubt. The disciples were shorthanded. They, they were only 11 when they should have been 12. And yet, Jesus says, these are my brothers. And yet, Jesus says, these are the ones that are gonna carry out my purposes in the world. And yet, Jesus, these are the ones that Jesus says, you, I will be with you. You will have my presence for, to the end of time. Friends, never think that God can't use you to carry out his mission. It all is by grace. And so when we think about this opportunity we have to share good news, always remember that it wasn't about the disciples' perfection why God chose them to carry out his purposes. It was because they were the ones that that he he had brought in by his grace as his brothers and he had sent them out to go and share the good news. It's interesting, Peter, when you think about these, um, these disciples, Peter goes from denying Jesus three times to preaching and seeing 3,000 saved in Acts chapter two. Um, the same guy, same guy that struggled. Uh, Acts four, uh, it comes and says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that these were just uneducated common men and they were astonished, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, Jesus, when we experience his resurrection life in us, it can produce a boldness in us that allows us to share the good news with others. Now, friends, you need to know that God can use you too. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have every answer to every question. You don't have to have every nook and cranny of your life perfectly in order before you can share the good news because the good news is not about what you've done. The good news is about what Jesus has done. And you can share that good news right now if you believe it, if you know that it's true. And so if, you, if you're one that gets held back and say, man, I don't know if I wanna do that because I'm not sure I'm gonna do it just right. I'm not sure I'm gonna do it perfectly. And I've got these other things in my life that aren't totally squared away. You know what I wanna say to you is just welcome to the club. Like you're gonna fit in great here. You're gonna look just like Mary and Mary and Peter and James and John. And you're also gonna look just like Jeff and Chase and Chris and Audra. Like this is, these are the people God uses. He uses people like us that are just everyday people to do his work and to tell others about how they can find life in him. That's why our message is always about Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. It also means that there can never be some kind of a holier than attitude that comes from, a holier than thou attitude that comes from us. See, we're always a mixed bag in need of grace ourselves. So when we go, we always go with a sense of humility telling them about God's goodness. It means we can't ever have a self-righteous kind of exclusivity that says, God, would you help those people 
out there that they really need you because what we, what we understand is that we're those people that Jesus had to come rescue. And so we always have a sense of humility with the way in which we share. I love what one of my favorite preachers said over 100 years ago. He says, we're really just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that good? Just, I'm just a beggar who discovered where to find the bread of life. And so I'm inviting some other beggars to come and taste the goodness of the bread that Jesus is as well. Uh, friends, we are those who have been rescued by the resurrection and the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the honors of telling other, honor of telling other people about it. So do you see what's happening in the Great Commission? This kind of passing of the baton where Jesus says, I'm going to sin and go to my father, but you now, you go and make disciples of all nations. You go teach them my way. Um, it's this passing the baton to, to us and ultimately that's why we're here. You understand that that little group of guys took that good news and they scattered and some went east and some went west and they told some people about Jesus and then those people went to other towns and they began to tell other people about Jesus and then those people went further towns and eventually they got to Oklahoma and the good news was received here and we found out about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and all that it means for us. And now that baton's handed to us and our job is to take it and to pass it out to all of our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and all those around us so that they too might go good news. It also means that you have something unique to share. You understand that, that, that you've got this unique shape that God's built into you, that you've got spiritual gifts that, that, that God's given you and you've got a, a, a heart and a passion that God's put in you that's really unique to how you're wired and you've got abilities and a personality that are, that are really just yours and no one else on earth has all the experiences that you have and that means that when you go and you share the testimony of God's grace in your life, no one else has that testimony to share except for you means if your voice is not being given to that, there's a void in the, the chorus of the good news that's supposed to be broadcast out to the world. We need your voice as well. It honors God when you share it and it gives him glory, but it also gives grace to others that need it. Um, it's interesting when, um, you know, I'm gonna jump that for just a minute. It, it's interesting, I was reading this week about um, I got an email in my inbox on Friday that just was really encouraging. You can see it here. Um, above reproach, fewer Americans see pastors as ethicals. And basically the whole article goes that all the research says people don't trust pastors anymore. Less than a third of people think pastors are trustworthy, uh, which is really fun. Um, we're actually lower than dentists, Dr. Kramer, uh, which, you know, I'm not sure what that means. We are just above lawyers and we are just above congressmen. But other than that, pretty much people are going to listen to almost all of you before they'll listen to me is what this says. It's interesting. The data says that people know that people uh, for the, more than any time in history are less likely to know a pastor than ever before. And they're less likely to trust a pastor than ever before. That means that if we are going to be effective at sharing the gospel more than ever, it's going to be because you guys share the gospel. They are likely to come in and maybe hear about me later. You can move on to the next slide. Um, They're they're, they're, they're likely to build a relationship, but it's going to come initially through you more than ever before, which is the brilliance of what Jesus' plan was was that he didn't, he didn't just give this plan to preachers. He didn't just put it on a stage. He didn't just put it on experts. But he said, all people, all disciples are called to be those who go and share 
the good news with other people. So friends, we need your voice. I'm praying for a generation. I feel like my generation in some ways lost its way. We outsourced the privilege of just telling people the good news to experts on a stage and the celebrities and all kinds of things, and it's not working. It's failing miserably in every way because it's not what Jesus gave us, which is disciples who take the good news and share it with other people so that they share the good news and they share the good news. And this self-perpetuating church continues to multiply with all the variety of all the people that God has called to himself. So friends, you are the brothers and sisters that Jesus has called. You are the brothers and sisters that Jesus says, I'm giving you my purpose and I'm giving you my presence that you might fulfill my will in this time. And that's how we live it out. What it means is we're, called, we're all called to go. And you may be called to go across the street to meet your neighbor. You may be called to go across the locker room to meet a buddy on the sports team you play on. It may mean you're called to go across the hall at the office and begin to share the good news with your coworkers. I'm not sure who God's calling you to go to. I am convinced that God's calling you to go, to share the good news, to make disciples of other people. You see this pattern all through scripture. John 17, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's start where you are and then go out to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth and kind of this ever expanding thing that starts right here and goes all the way over there. Eventually, there's this constant path in the scriptures. Revelation 5 says, by your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Our job's to go announce the victory Jesus has already won for them. And, and we're called to go to all nations and all peoples to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So let me close with this. How do you apply this? Um, what, what, what is God calling each of you to do with this truth and this message? first, maybe you need to take the resurrection life and believe it for the first time. You may be here and say, man, before I can share the good news, I've got to trust that myself. And you may need to believe it and incorporate it in your own life before you can go and share it and be baptized. Next Sunday, we are actually going to do baptisms um, actually right out in the commons between services. So um, if you come to the second service, need to get here a little early. Get here about 15 minutes early next week. We're going to gather together in commons. We're going to get to baptize uh, three new people that, that want to be baptized and want to celebrate. And if you want to put your faith in Christ and you want to know this resurrection life for you and all the things that it means for you, I'd love nothing more than to sit down and tell you about that and to let you be baptized next Sunday if you want to. So that'd be the first way to apply this. Second is, do you need to grow? Some of us need to grow in the resurrection life and learn to share it with others. Some of us need to just turn into Jason Kelsey and jump out the window and start telling people about the good news. We need to release the joy of the gospel, the good news that we have, to just go tell someone. You don't have to do everything. But like Mary and Mary, just run quickly and go share it with someone. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make us a people who love your grace and love your mercy and love to tell others about how they can find life in you. Father, would you raise up a generation of people who are so filled with joy at your goodness and your grace that we have to 
They're just compelled to tell others out of joy. Father, for your glory and for their good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.